So my wife Amy and I are currently on a sabbatical, which means rest. And so you're wondering, why are you here? Well, I told Brad and Todd a while back that I would do this one night and uh, then we're going to leave uh, tomorrow morning. But uh, I wanted to be with you here tonight to just start off this all important evening at Rush Camp. And so we've just been chilling out the last month. We've had a chance to see both of our boys. One of them's in Wisconsin, the other one's in Missouri and Lee Summit, Missouri. So we've had a chance to do some fun things. And then um, we're going to jump back into it tomorrow. But um, one of the things that Amy and I love to do together is to see movies. Um, Two weeks ago, guys, ready for this? I saw, Amy and I saw the new Downton Abbey movie. Just a real weird reaction to that. And then uh, a couple days ago on Friday, I saw the new Top Gun. That was... I'm going to just say this. It is one of the best movies that I've seen in a long, long time. And ready for this now, I actually think it's better than the first one. And I don't ever say that about sequels, but it was just that good. Well, one of our favorite movies, one of our favorite movies, and we love to watch movies, but one of our favorite movies happened in the year 2000. There was a movie that came out, it one of my, it became one of my all-time favorites, and it's called The Sixth Sense. How many of you have seen that movie? Okay, a few of you, all right? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell, tell you the clincher of the movie. And some of you are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You've had 12 years. You've had 12 years to see this movie, all right? But basically, I'm just going to tell you this. I don't really like scary movies. I don't really like movies about death. I really don't like movies with ghosts and dead people and this and that. But you may remember this movie. There's a little boy in the movie. His name is Corey Sear. And he has the ability to see ghosts. He sees dead people. And they appear to him because they've they've all experienced this wrongful death and they need this little boy's help. They believe that this boy can help them to tell their story of how they died, how they died. And so in the movie, this little boy, Corey Sear, he gets hooked up with this child psychologist who's played by Bruce Willis, who's trying to help him. But we find out at the end of the movie that Bruce Willis is actually a dead guy. I I told you it was coming. I told you it was coming. You've had 12 years. But if you've seen the movie, listen, if you've seen the movie, you know there's a point in the movie where the boy leans over to Bruce Willis and he says, I'm ready to tell you my secret. And he says, really? And everything just gets quiet in the movie. It's like this moment. And he looks at him. I think we have a picture of this boy in this moment. Oh, there he is. And he says, I see dead people. I see dead people. Several months ago, Brad and, and Todd shared with me the theme of this year's Rush Camp, which is wake up. And they asked me to talk tonight about the idea of waking up to salvation, wake, waking up to being saved, waking up to life. And they asked me if I would speak from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And if you've been at Westridge for a while, you know I've spoken on this passage a few different times. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 is all about God taking us from spiritual death to spiritual life through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the only way that I can really speak on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 is to be straight up with you about where many of you tonight stand spiritually. And I don't want you to miss this. Matter of fact, I don't want anyone to talk for a moment. I just want you to zone in on what I'm about to say to you. 
I want you to listen very carefully. Because as I'm looking across this auditorium tonight, I want to tell you something. I see dead people. I see some dead people. There are many of you who came to camp today, and and I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to just say it straight. You're dead. You're not lost. You're not misplaced. You don't have a, a slight problem or an issue. You have a catastrophic situation on your hands that presents the absolute worst possible scenario that you could ever imagine. You're dead. Now, wait a minute. I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Brian, I I don't feel dead. I woke up this morning. I feel very alive. I I actually got on the bus. I rode for several hours down to this camp while I was riding in the bus. I was breathing. I was talking. I was eating. I was laughing. We might have been watching a movie. I was sleeping at some moment. I was smelling some nasty things on my bus. All the things, Brian, up. Listen, I got off the bus right across the street. I checked into my room. I got, it down. I got down to this meeting. I had dinner. I'm, I'm sitting here right now feeling very much alive. Air is thrown, flowing through my lungs. My heart is pumping. My mind is racing about all that I want to do this week. I am alive. I'm not dead. And yet I want you to look at what the Apostle Paul wrote to this little church in this Greek town called Ephesus, in chapter two, verse one, he says this, once you were dead, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we we are subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Now, I don't know if you've ever received a really bad text or an email before that just had some really, really bad news, or maybe you saw it on TV, or unfortunately you had the chance to hear this personally where you were sitting in front of a doctor And he had some really, really bad news to share. Or you read an email that just had really, really bad news to share. But that's what Paul is writing here. And I want to tell you something. When you read it, it's really depressing. Paul's like the grim reaper of of the New Testament in the Bible. Now, I want to see if I can break down for you just a moment in real simple terms what Paul is saying here. But I'm going to tell you something. It's really depressing. And here's what Paul's saying. Because of your disobedience and your sin, you are spiritually dead. You say, what does that mean? Well, this is a person that is in a terrible, life-threatening predicament. We all have a sin issue that has caused us to be eternally separated from God. It wasn't even our fault. We were actually born with it. We inherited it from our dad who inherited it from his dad. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and you can start with Adam and it started right there with Adam and Eve. And as a result of sin and being spiritually dead, here's what Paul lays out for us in verses one through three. He says, we have no purpose and no meaning in life. We aimlessly follow after a world that wants nothing to do with God. We live lives that are spiritually empty. We may be just going through the motion spiritually. Maybe we're sitting in church every single week or we're coming to student ministry group every single week, serving in kids ministry, but our soul is not alive to God. There's just a big void. And then Paul says that a person that is spiritually dead is literally in the clutches of Satan. The enemy of this world has a hold on you and you are following him around like a zombie, like the walking dead. And this state of spiritual death causes a person 
to literally walk in disobedience to God. They can't even help it. It's a hopeless state where someone just gives into sinful behavior, just gives into sinful thoughts. And because of sin, we are separated from God with no means, no ability, no prescription on our own to actually heal the situation. It, listen, I'm going to tell you this. It's literally a death sentence. It's a death sentence. And here's the kicker. Unless something radically changes the condition of a person's heart who is spiritually dead, spiritual death will ultimately lead to eternal death brought on by God's anger, by God's wrath. God's wrath. Now say, what does that mean? God's wrath is eternal death where someone is separated eternally from God in a very real place called hell. And hell is eternal torment. Now, I can't think of worse news for anyone to hear. That's grim. That is bleak. This is hopeless. Let, let, let's be honest about what I just read. That sucks. It sucks for anybody. To be spiritually dead and on your way to an eternity in hell is the most terrible condition you could absolutely be in. Think of being in a raft for a moment, lost at sea. This, might be, this is Tim Grandstaff's worst fear in the world, I'm going to tell you being circled by great white sharks. This condition that Paul's describing, it's worse. Think of being trapped in a deep cave with no light, no food, no water, no way out. What I'm describing here from Ephesians 2 is absolutely worse. Paul tells us this is truly the most hopeless, helpless life situation that a person could find themselves in with absolutely no way of saving themselves from the worst possible future that one could absolutely ever imagine. That's verses one through three. Welcome to Rush Camp. But thank goodness for verse four. Thank goodness that Paul doesn't stop writing right there because, because, the, words, because the words that Paul writes next are game changers. He starts off verse four with two words. And those two words are this, but God. Spiritual death has left you without hope, but God. Spiritual death has left you in the worst possible situation that you could ever imagine, but God. Sin has written a death sentence over your life with no appeals, no reprieves, but God. When all hope was gone, when all hope was lost, look at what Paul says in verse 4. He says, but God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. When all seemed lost, God stepped into the picture. He stepped into your world. He stepped into your story. Have you ever had a but God moment in your life? Things were going off the rails in your life. You were making terrible decisions, but God stepped in. Somebody spoke truth to your life. Maybe you just, you, you've been in a situation where maybe you felt just hopeless. You felt like life had no meaning, no purpose. You didn't even see a reason for living, but God stepped in. Paul describes God the Father as rich in mercy. Those words mean undeserved kindness. In other words, God has, shown, God has chosen to show every single one of us in this room tonight undeserved kindness towards those who are dead in their sins. When all hope was lost, God looked at, at this sinful state of deadness that all of us have found ourselves in and he wrote a game-changing prescription across your life. One word, 
Jesus. He sent Jesus into the darkness of our world to rescue us from spiritual death. We just sang about it. He was the son of suffering. You saw him hanging on the cross in that screen right there. He did that for you because God is so rich in mercy. He sent Jesus to the cross to serve the sentence for sin that rightfully belonged to us. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus came to save you, to rescue you from spiritual death. He came to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. That's called mercy. That's called undeserved kindness. That's called grace. Now, what in the world would compel God to do something like that? Think about this for a moment. There's not one of you in this room, including me, that deserves this kind of kindness, that deserves this kind of mercy. What would cause God to sacrifice his own son for people who don't deserve it, even in their best moment? Because it doesn't make any sense, does it? Here's the reason Paul gives us in verse four. He says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. Don't miss this now. Because some of you tonight, you don't feel very loved. You don't feel like anybody loves you. God sent his own son Jesus to die for our sins because he loved you. Because he loves you. The word that Paul uses here for love is agapo. It means to seek the highest good in the one love. Now think about that for a moment. There is nothing about us, nothing about any of us, nothing about me that deserves that kind of love, nothing. And yet the love that God has for you and has for me is a love that chooses to seek the highest good in the ones who are loved. In other words, God chose to seek the highest good when there was really nothing good to seek. And if you think about that, you think that's crazy. And what was the result of that love? Paul tells us. Life, life. Here's what Paul says. Because of Jesus, we've been giving life. Here's how the the English Standard Version says it. Because of this great love, we have been made alive together with Christ. There's a game changer right there. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your personal savior, you were made alive. Listen, those two words change everything for us here tonight. Everything. Made alive means that a life-changing transformation has taken place. A miracle has taken place that cannot be described in modern medical terms. Spiritual death has turned into spiritual life. Now, I've tried to imagine, to think of of an image that, that, that somehow could capture a small glimpse of what has happened here. And I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but... This, this image, these images actually blow my mind. We're going to put them on the screen right below, behind me. But in, in, in Southern California, there's a place called Death Valley. That's it right there. It's in the Badwater Basin, which is located in Death Valley. It is the lowest point in the United States, 282 feet below sea level. It's also the hottest place in the United States. It gets to be 129 degrees in Death Valley right there. I mean, that is... A very dead place. That's as dead as you can get. And yet think about this. 85 miles away. 85 miles away from that, from Death Valley, is Mount Whitney. Mount Whitney is the highest spot in the continental U.S., 14,490 feet above sea level. Look at this. The lowest point is so close to the highest point, 
And yet, they could not be more extreme. They could not be more different. That is a picture of the extremes of spiritual death and spiritual life. That's what those two things look like. Now, I want to show you something. This is my wife threw this in here today. This is courtesy of her. But let me show you what happens to Death Valley when water, every about 10 years, flows down from Mount Whitney and flows into Death Valley. It becomes that. You know what that's called? It's called a super bloom. It only happens once every 10 years, once every 15 years. Water flows down from Mount Whitney, 85 miles plus, into Death Valley, and that's what happens. Listen, some of you tonight, you may feel like your life is stuck in Death Valley, but it doesn't have to be that way any longer because God wants to do that in your life. Out of his rich mercy and because of his great love for you, God has spoken into your hopeless condition and has made spiritual life available to you right now. He's chosen to offer you spiritual life by sending Jesus to pay the debt that created spiritual death. God's remedy for spiritual death is Jesus. And through Jesus, we can go from death to life. We can be made alive. You say, what does that look like for me tonight? What does that look like? Well, a few years ago, I started writing down everything I could find in Scripture that defined what it means for, for somebody to be made alive because of Jesus. And there are so many things, but I just want to just give you a couple highlights here tonight. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. And if you are spiritually dead tonight, I want you to think about what I'm about to say to you. Because this is what God wants to do in your life right now on the first night of rush camp. When God makes you alive with Christ, you are forgiven of your sins. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, because of Jesus, God took your sin debt that causes you to be spiritually dead, and he canceled it out. He wrote paid across the sin debt of your life, and then he took that debt and he nailed it to a tree as a notice that the debt had been paid in full. And when he did that, he disarmed Satan and his demons from having any power and any authority over your life. You no longer belong to him. You belong to Jesus because he's taken and he's put paid in full across your life because of Jesus. You are forgiven of your sin. You're also filled with the, the greatest power the world has ever known. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in, this, in the book of Corinthians that because you've been made alive in Christ, Christ now lives inside of you. He lives his life inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That empty void in your life that represented spiritual death has now been filled by God. You have been indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The greatest power the world has ever known lives in you tonight. Through the life and the power of Jesus Christ. His spirit lives inside you, giving you authority over sin and the power to walk in victory through whatever life may throw you. I don't care what Satan throws you. I don't care what the world throws you. You have the power of, the, of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you to disarm it, to say no to it, to withstand it, to walk through it victorious. When you're spiritually dead, you are stuck in bondage to sin, and yet Jesus has come to set you free. When you're made alive in Christ, you are delivered from the curse of spiritual death. Most of you know that Jesus died for our sins on a cross, and then he rose three days later out of the grave. He came back to life. He walked out of a grave, fully alive. And when he did that, he defeated death, and not just physical death, but spiritual death, and he made it possible for you to do the same thing. 
And one day, every single person in this room is going to die. Where Every one of us are going to die physically. You can count on it. But when a person who has been made alive in Christ dies physically, here's what happens to them. They immediately enter into the presence of Jesus. It like, just like that. You go from one life to the next life. You go from physical death to just being in the presence of Jesus alive forever. You also become a child of God. John tells us, the Apostle John tells us, that those who believe and accept Jesus as Savior, God gives them the right to become and to be called the children of God. The Bible says that not only were you dead before Jesus rescued you, but you were an orphan. In other words, you didn't belong to God. The Bible actually describes you as an enemy to God. But because of Jesus, God has now adopted you into his family. You are his child. You are a child of God. Listen to this now. With the same spiritual benefits as Jesus. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. When he looks at you with all the benefits that Jesus has, he says, that's my son. That's my daughter. Same benefits. That's amazing. And then I love this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul tells us you become a masterpiece. Look at this. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Don't miss this now. That means that because you have been made alive in Christ, alive in Jesus, you've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. God the Father has mapped out a plan and a purpose for your life here on earth. Before you were ever born, God created you to do good works on his behalf. You are a result of his handiwork. You are a result of his workmanship. You, listen now, you are a masterpiece. I know that you don't feel like a masterpiece tonight. I know that some of you don't feel like you are God's handiwork, that you are his workmanship, but that's how God sees you. And as you live for him by faith, God begins to use your life to bless others. You become a powerful tool in his hands to serve him, to serve others. He'll begin to send people into your life that need to know Jesus, that need to know that Jesus has provided a rescue uh, from them from spiritual death, that they too may be made alive. You know, I have two sons. One, um, my oldest son, Taylor, is 27. <coughs> He plays baseball in in Wisconsin. He just got married in December. Our youngest son, Zach, is getting ready to turn 24. He's getting married, I think, in 24 days, 23 days. They've both sat in the places that you're sitting for many, many years. This past Wednesday night, I had a chance. Zach's a student pastor in in Missouri. I had a chance to hear him preach. 18 kids made spiritual decisions at the very end. I'm sitting over there right there, and I'm looking at Zach, and I'm going... God's made him into a masterpiece. He's using him, the, the God-given gifts that God has given him to share Jesus with other people. Taylor, my oldest son, called me the other night. He said, Dad, you're not going to believe this, but he had pitched five innings. He's in the dugout. He said, all of a sudden, I got to share Christ with one of my teammates for about 30 minutes. Another guy walked up. He said, before I know it, he says, I'm sharing Christ in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning with these two guys. And I'm like, what happened? He goes, well, one of them doesn't know anything about Jesus. He actually said, are you telling me that Jesus died for me? What what does that mean? He said, dad, it was like they just walked up. And the next thing you know, now I've got a Bible study going with these two guys. Listen, these two boys, they're nothing, listen, 
It's not that they're my kids. They sat in the same chairs you're sitting in, but they realized somewhere along the way that God had made them a masterpiece. God had done a work in their life. He created them for more than just living, breathing, and dying. He put them on this earth so that they could use the gifts that God has given them to share Christ. And folks, tonight, every single one of you, that's your story. You're a masterpiece. You're God's workmanship. You have been created to do Good works for him. He has a plan and purpose for your life. And that all happens when you become alive in Christ, when you receive Jesus, when the Holy Spirit enters your life. And then finally, here's what the Bible says happens when you are woken up to salvation. You become a brand new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. To be made alive in Christ means that the old spiritual dead life is gone. God's replaced it with spiritual life. You know what that's called? It's called the great exchange. Death for life. God has given you new life. He's made you alive. There's so much more because of Jesus. Listen, you have been redeemed. You have been made victorious. You, the Bible says you are more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. You're the light of the world. You've been healed. You've been made whole. I could go on all day long, but let me sum it up just this way. To be made alive means that you've been saved. To be made alive means that you've been saved. What does that mean? You've been saved from sin forgiven and cleansed. You've been saved from being separated from God. There used to be a huge chasm between you and God that's gone. You've been saved from spiritual death. You actually become a new person. God's replaced that old dead life with new spiritual life. You've been saved from the clutches of Satan. He no longer owns you. You've been saved from the pull of this world that right now has a grip on so many of you. You can't even help it. It's pulling you. It's tugging you. You've been saved from the wrath of God. You've been saved from eternal death. You've been saved from hell. Listen to what Paul says about this word saved in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Look at this. God saved you by his grace when you believe and you can't take credit for this. It is the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so none of us can boast about it. In other words, to be made alive in Christ, to be saved as a gift All the benefits that I just talked about and even more are the benefits of being made alive with Christ. It's all a gift. And this gift is offered to us through this one word, grace. Grace is so powerful. It's such a game-changing word. Grace means that the gift of salvation is unmerited. It's undeserved. It can't be earned. If any of us, listen, if any of us in this room tonight deserve salvation, if we could earn salvation... The Bible says we would brag about it. It would cheapen the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So salvation is a gift that is only made available to to us by grace. It is grace that you've been made alive with Christ. You're no longer defined by sin. Spiritual death is no longer your story and eternal death is no longer your future. Because out of, well, here's what the Bible says, out of his love, out of his mercy, out of his grace, he sent Jesus into your story to change everything. He sent Jesus into my story to change everything, to give every man, every woman, every student, every child the opportunity to be made alive. And by grace, God offers you a chance right now to be made alive, an opportunity to be transformed from death to life, an opportunity to be saved. Listen, students, I want to tell you this tonight. Young adults, listen to me. This moment right here, this moment right now, could be the most important moment of your whole life. It could be your game changer 
moment. You say, how could that happen? Paul lays it out in verse 8. He says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith is being convinced that something is true. Faith is always linked to a person, an object, or a statement. The only way to be saved is to have faith in Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus says that my confidence in this life, my confidence to get from this life to the next life, my confidence to go from spiritual death to spiritual life is only in Jesus. He died to pay for sin. He was buried. He rose again to conquer death, to bridge the separation that existed between God and me. He's the only way that anyone can go from spiritual death to spiritual life. He's the only one that can breathe life into this dead spiritual state that all of us find ourselves in at some point to make us alive. And here's my question for every single one of you tonight. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Not just that you acknowledge that it's true. Oh, I've heard about that. Yeah, I heard about that when I was in kids ministry. I heard about that last year at Rush Camp. No, no, no. But you are so convinced that you accept it into your life as a life-changing fact. Faith is believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior who came to save you from sin and death. And as a result of you believing that that to be true, you humbly ask him to forgive you of your sin and you place all of your faith and all of your trust in Jesus Christ alone tonight to be your Lord and personal Savior. When I was about seven years old, um, my family, I grew up outside of Detroit, Michigan. And... um, every couple years, my family would drive all the way down Highway 75 and we would visit my grandparents who lived in Bradenton, Florida. And we would go to, they lived in a mobile home and we would stay with them for a a week or so and we would go to the beach almost every single day. And I remember back then in the 70s that there used to be these things called jetties. It was like these cement walls that went out into the water into the Gulf of Mexico and around the, 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 the end of the jetties were all these gigantic rocks. I mean, they were sharp, they were jagged, but they were just piled up high uh, along the, the, these jetties and it was really, I think they were there just to keep the beach from eroding. But one time we went down to Florida, I was visiting my grandparents, my dad's parents and I was floating in the ocean kind of close to my family on one of those Really cheap pool rafts. It's one of those ones that just, you know, you just take a pin, you poke a hole, you're done. All right, but, uh, but I was floating on this really cheap raft, just kind of out in the Gulf of Mexico, having a time, and all of a sudden I look over and I'm getting further and further and further away from my family, and the tide is pulling me over to the jetty. And I'm seven, and I am now, I'm on this raft, and, and I know now the water is over my head, And I am paddling, I'm laying on this raft, but I'm paddling as hard as I can to get back to where my family is, and I can't make any ground. And all of a sudden, the current takes me over to the end of the jetty. And the waves now have me, and they're pushing me into the rocks. And I'm holding on. Now, I'm, now, I've, now I've got the raft under my arm. I'm seven years old, and I am I'm screaming out. I'm taking water in. I'm looking up. I'm, now I'm hitting the rocks. I'm smashing into the rocks. I can't touch the bottom of the ocean. And I know, I'm just thinking, all I can think of is this moment is I'm going to drown. If I let go of this raft, I'm going to drown. But I, I have to let go of the raft because I've got to somehow 
keep myself from smashing into these rocks because now I'm getting cut up. And all of a sudden, as I'm just taking in water, I look up and I see this figure running on top of the jetty and he reaches down, out on, goes down on the rocks and he just grabs me and pulls me up and literally saves my life. It was my dad. My dad saved my life. There's no doubt about it. Had he not pulled me out of that moment, I would have drowned. Or I would have just like crashed into the rocks and probably cut my head open and just the ocean probably would have taken me away. I want to tell you something tonight. That's not what God's done for you. Okay? God didn't just throw you a lifeline when you were in the ocean. You know, hey, I need help. God God didn't pull up on a jet ski and go, hey, grab onto the back. I'm going to pull you in. God didn't run out onto a jetty and reach down and, and, and pull you out just when you were getting ready to breathe your last breath. No, no, no. Listen, I'm going to tell you what God did. God came along when you were laying on the bottom of the ocean, completely dead. When you were breathing no air, when you were done. And he picked you up and he pulled you out of the water and he put you on dry ground and he breathed life into your lungs and he brought you to life. You were laying completely dead with no hope, no rescue, no means of survival on the bottom of the ocean floor, fish bait. And God came along through his son Jesus and lifted you up and breathed life into your lungs and made you alive for the first time. It wasn't like you died and you were on the ocean floor. You were there. That's what God's done for you tonight. That's the rescue. And tonight, God offers you the opportunity to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. He wants to breathe life into you tonight. He offers you an invitation to receive life. It's an invitation to restoration. It's an invitation to hope. It's an invitation to love. It's an invitation to forgiveness. It's an invitation to salvation. The death and burial and resurrection of Jesus has made that possible for you tonight. And I want to ask every one of you at this very moment, if you would bow your head with me. I want you right now to forget about who's sitting next to you. Because when you stand before God one day and you give an account of what you've done with your life, what you've done with this moment right now, did you accept Jesus into your life or did you reject him? Nobody's going to be standing around you. Nobody's going to be sitting next to you. You're not going to lean over to anybody and go, hey, did I do that? No, no, no. It's just going to be you and God. That's how, that's how personal this moment is. But it's a game changer moment. Right now, the God of the universe, the one who created everything, who holds it all in place, is offering you personally an opportunity to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. 
He wants to come along, pick your dead body up off the bottom of the ocean floor and breathe life into it and offer you spiritual life. And the question for you tonight is, will you say yes to that opportunity? Will you say yes to that offer? If you've never made that decision before or if you didn't understand it before, or it's something that has never been really explained to you well, or you just, maybe all of a sudden now, because of the Holy Spirit, just all of a sudden it just clicked. I want you to pray with me right now. If you've never crossed over from spiritual death to spiritual life, I want you to pray with me right now. We're gonna put your, you're gonna put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you, to save you. Say, say this with me, dear God, in your heart, just say it, dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son and the Savior of the world. He is son and he proved it by dying on a cross for my sins Jesus thank you for dying on the cross for me thank you for rising up out of the dead I want to know you personally and I want to experience forgiveness of sin that only you can offer I want to go from spiritual death to spiritual life and right now I come before you at this moment with a humble heart and I ask you to come into my life right now and to be my personal savior I put all of my faith my trust in you alone. Rescue me from this state of spiritual death that I find myself in tonight. Forgive me of my sins. Free me from the guilt of my past. Change my life today. Give me hope for tomorrow. I accept you into my life. My answer is yes to your offer of life. If you just prayed that with me, I want to ask you to be bold. I want you to look at me for a moment. Here's what I love about your generation. I know every generation above the generation below them busts on that generation. I, your generation is so bold. So You guys are fearless. I love that about you. I want to ask you to do something tonight. And I wouldn't ask you to do this if it wasn't such a big deal. But it is a deal. It is the biggest deal of your life. It is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. If you just made that decision just now with me, you just prayed with me to go from spiritual life to spiritual death to spiritual life, that just happened to you. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to stand to your feet. Thank you. I love this. I love this. Keep standing. Keep standing. Keep standing. Keep standing. Come on. Keep stay standing for just a minute. Just stop. Just stand. Listen, I thank you. You're gonna keep popping up. All it takes is just a little boldness, a little courage to stand. Now, here's what I want to ask you to do. We're gonna sing, and I want you to grab your small group leader. And I want you to say, Will you pray with me? And here's what's gonna happen. I'm not gonna embarrass you. But you have to know what you just did. You have to know more about this. We just can't have you just going, ah, I prayed that. No, no, no. This is a game changer. This literally changes the course of your life. And I want you to know more about it. So I want you to grab your small group leader. I want you to look, look over him right now and go, hey, you see me standing right now, okay? So when this song goes on and they start singing, small group leaders, I want you to take everybody in your group that's standing right now out into the atrium, into the lobby area, and I want you to have a moment, pray with them, get their name. Because listen, here's what I want to tell you. Without this decision in your life, 
Everything else that happens this week will make no sense to you. Because every trust in Jesus who belongs. Because it's all for people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus who belong. Because it all begins to make sense once you become spiritually alive. So let's give a, just let's welcome all of these folks who just stood into the family of God. What a great night.